If you needed the proof, numbers never lie, neither do I, I'm speaking the truth. Uh, the Ducks look like they want to win it again. I know Stanford want a little revenge. From the youth to the Wildcats, Beavers, lacing up the sneakers. Ruins in the Sun Devils, looking like a couple sleepers. If you're looking for the best, you know that you found a source. Inside the Pac-12, this here is the perfect choice. Yeah, we talking matchups, all about the teams you support. Hit Vegas when we ready to crown the queens of the court. Uh, the calm, the chaos, we bring in the passion. And the player of the year, who get crowned? Champion, let's get it cracking. What's happening? Mary Murphy and Ashley Adams, and yeah, we back again. I just want to say before we start the, the podcast that every time I listen to our intro song, I get hyped up. I like want to do um, push-ups or jumping jacks or something. Exactly, but I don't want to do planks. But I do like, everything else but planks. Absolutely, I hate planks. But yeah, I feel I feel like we're at the club right now. It's Tuesday. <laughs> And you have found the Inside Pac-12 Women's Basketball Podcast. Good for you. Good for you. Mary Murphy, Ashley Adamson, our producer Colleen Farrell, back in the saddle, fresh off Selection Monday. And one of the more interesting Selection Mondays in recent memory. We will get to that in just a minute. Um, But I'm excited for today, ladies. Lasia Clarendon, the former Cal Bear who was part of that magical Final Four run in 2013. And then the UCLA head coach, Corey Close, who uh, always always brings it and always has some interesting inside perspective. She's going to be joining the podcast. We are excited to have her on. But before we dive into uh, the teams and, and the matchups and everything that happened with ESPN yesterday, I just would love to start with a little bit perspective, a little bit of perspective on the NCAA tournament oh. because it's easy to, to kind of dive into, okay, well, let's look at the bracket and what's this, their path and this. But I don't want to skip over the magical part. Mm-hmm. Of March Madness. Okay. There's a lot of that. There is a lot of that. So, so Mary, well, let, I'm just going to tee up on this. You were coaching at Wisconsin, and from what I understand, it was the year that you were Big Ten Coach of the Year. You became... Fleeting. It was a fleeting moment. <laughs> first team. <laughs> Men's or women's. This is a big deal, though. The, fir- the first time in 50 years... 5-0. 5-0. Wisconsin- that's, that's a long time. Yeah. Uh, that a men's or women's team made it to the NCAA tournament. So tell me, revisit it for me. What do you remember about um, that NCAA tournament experience when you were with the Badgers? Well, the selection show, you don't know we were fourth in in the Big Ten. Didn't know if we were actually going to get in. And when we did, it's just like time just freezes. Like, oh, my God, that's our name. And Honestly, I didn't care who we were playing. I didn't care anything. I just it was just that moment of excitement for for everybody and how far we'd come. We inherited a team that was 4 and 24 and you know, we said it wasn't rebuilding. We're like sort of excavating the basement out. I mean, it was just like a total do-over and it was it was just thrilling and exciting. And I think for a lot of teams selection Monday is like kind of like it's nice and fun but they already know they're in and you know there's just not that much drama like the drama is like where you're going and who you're playing but if like for me like that never happened again so it's it's precious and it's it's awesome and you you just don't you don't forget it and what do you remember about that game the game well I remember we had it at the old field house in Madison uh, on the on the Wisconsin campus and there were more people in the building than we'd ever had. I think we had 8,000 people in there. And um, I just sat down on the bench and literally got lost in the moment. And I kept yelling at myself saying, stop it. You need to start thinking about Montana because they're really good. They had a great player who could play inside and out. We had no one to match up with her. Uh, and clearly, because we did lose the game, and maybe I should have been focusing earlier. But <laughs> I just sat there, and I just looked up in the rafter. There, there were just people everywhere. And of course, there's red everywhere. And I'm sure I had my lucky red suit on, and I looked pretty, really awesome and everything. But it was just a, a great, great moment um, that I'll never forget. And I actually have a frame photo that's gigantic, framed in a red, beautiful red wood frame in my garage because it's the only like you can't have that in your house unless I don't know your somebody has like eighteen thousand rooms and you just have a spare room where you put. I thought pictures you had eighteen thousand like rooms in your. I think I got like five. Oh, okay. but. It, it, 5,000, I just want to clarify it's, for the listeners. It's in my garage, and I look at it every time I take my recycling out. And what's the what's the picture of? It's it's just the overview of the building full of people. And I, I'm, it's up, they did it in black and white, and I'm a little speck on the bench. But it just, 
it's just one of those special moments that you just, you know, when you're going and taking your recycling out, that makes you feel happy. I love that. Yeah. That's good stuff. And see, and, and I think that that is the point is that uh, there are so many teams that for, for some players, and, and again, for Stanford and some of these teams that have been to the tournament, you know, seven, eight, nine times in a row, it, it's different. It's but Monday. It's Monday. But, and, and, and the, the excitement of the NCAA tournament never loses its luster. But I do think that there are a lot of players who this is their one shot, and especially yeah. for seniors. This is going to be their last go of this team. So thank you for sharing that. And um, I need to get something. Well, I don't have a garage, but if I did, I would have to hang something that made me want to take the recycling out because I hate taking the recycling out. <laughs> But I digress. Uh, okay, yesterday was interesting. It sure was. Selection Monday, and I just, for kind of a, some background, the selection special that we do on the Pac-12 Network every year is, is a really fun, but probably the most stressful show. Colleen, is, <laughs> Colleen our producer, is shaking her head yes. It's probably the most pre- uh, stressful show because everything, so 4 o'clock is when ESPN starts releasing the brackets. And you have all your ducks in a row as much as you can, but you can't really plan for anything because you're looking at all these matchups and it's, you're reacting in real time. And then as soon as coaches, they've all been so generous with their time, they have usually whoever is in agrees to come on a campus cam and do an interview, talk back with us. But you have to understand that they, as soon as they hear their name called, they want to come in and do the interview so they can go get, get ready, up, get ready and, and start prepping and planning travel and making sure that everything that they need to do gets done. So it is one of the most stressful shows that we do at the Pac-12 Network. But yesterday was a little bit different because... Yeah, I mean, I know it was a dark day at ESPN yesterday, but it was a bright day in the hallways of Pac-12 Network (laughs) to to be able to see who our teams were playing um, and, you know, grab notes and prepare questions. Oh, they played them like five years ago. Oh, they have been in Waco for three years out of the last six six years. Um, was really nice and it was calm and uh, yeah. So I, I am sorry about that at ESPN, but I mean, lovely for us. But yeah. We're, but we're in the office, just cranking away, just trying to get everything together. And Colleen walks in and says, with this huge smile on her face, "I have the bracket." And we're like, and we looked at her. I almost been, like dismissed her. I'm like, what are you talking? Get out of here, Colleen. <laughs> You've been in Vegas for a week. I can <laughs> tell. Stop it. <laughs> And she said, no, the the bracket got leaked. Look at this. And then you know it's true when they move up the show. Because then I'm like, wait a minute. You know, then you're like, well, you can't rely on a leak leak all the times. But then you uh, see that they're, you know, raising the show time. And then I'm like, oh, this is legit. It's time to crank it out, ladies. Let's go. And that was what it was. So ESPN, so the the, the sad part of it was that we're we're making light of it because it was fun for us. uh, (laughs) And that it was like we had the answers to the test four hours before the test. But... The the bummer of it was the fact that they did move up the show. So once the brackets accidentally got leaked on ESPNU, whatever it was, six hours before showtime, ESPN made the call to move up the show to 2 o'clock to release the bracket, um, which the uh, waterfall effect of that was that all of the watch parties, I mean, Oregon, Oregon State, Cal, they all had watch parties with their fans planned. And those all got canceled. So that was that was a bummer. But I will say it was it was fun when we were talking to all six coaches of the teams that made it in. Um, from the Pac-12 yes. yesterday to yeah. hear about how they found out because it was all very different. A lot of them were at practice. Kelly Graves was feeding his dog. I love that one. Yeah. And and Tar, Tar Vanderveer, who has been to 31 NCAA tournaments, uh, she just said, yeah, in all my years, I've never seen anything quite like that. So it was a, it was a memorable one. And I'm sure, um, well, let's just say I'm glad I work at Pac-12 Network today and not ESPN. <laughs> yeah, that's a, that's a that tough was, day. That was a tough day. Uh, okay, so let's talk about the bracket a little bit. So b- big picture, I think when when you take a look at it, Oregon, they they missed the opportunity to be a one seed, but we've, we've said it before. I don't, I don't think Kelly really cares because you're a two seed, you get to host, and you get to play for a chance to go to the Final Four in Portland. It doesn't really get better than that, and, and you like their path, Mary. Absolutely, and I don't think if people don't know their geography, so you've got Eugene, and you you just get out to I-5, and you go north, what, you guys like an hour 50 if traffic's moving through Portland, and you're at the Moda Center, and you're there. So certainly they're excited to be there. I'm not sure Mississippi State's excited to be there at 30-2, and two, the number one seed, and what's interesting is Oregon's already beaten Mississippi State in Eugene. So this will be their second trip if they make it through to the regional second time that they, they've been out to the great state of Oregon. And they beat Mississippi State 82-74. And, you know, we've talked all year about that was sort of a, the coming out party of, oh, Oregon can play defense. Ruthie Hebert can lock you down. 
Tierra McGowan really had a tough game, and then we saw the build on that when when she sh- shut down uh, Alana Smith at Maples. Uh, what a great game that was! So it, it's a very interesting bracket. But if you're Mississippi State at number one, you're like, man, yeah, I don't know. Well, and and we we mentioned so Oregon's first round matchup is against Portland State, and. It, you said yesterday. How many tickets have they sold already? They pre-sold. They pre before the announcement yesterday or the leak yesterday. They were over four thousand pre-sold. They're expecting a full house there, and we know what that was like for Oregon State. I mean, yeah. that place is rocking. Uh, the pit crew gets going. Kelly's in there leading. You know, the football coaches there. Mario you know, Cristobal be crazy. Hot dog gun. Probably. Exactly. Yeah, I know. All right. Well, that so that's going to be good. Oregon, I think, is in good shape, and they had a chance. They took the whole week off. Uh, Kelly told us yesterday they to kind of rest some, yeah. and regroup. So need some rest. Excited to watch them. Stanford, also a two seed. Uh, they are in the Chicago region. which, Yay! which What's better Mar- than Chicago? Mary has nicknamed the best region, and, that, and that's not necessarily because of the teams there, but just because it's Chicago. It's my kind of town. That's my Chicago kind of town. Is. I do love Chicago in the summer for about three months. Chicago's It's wonderful. warming up, people. Yes. The snow is melting. Uh, so Stanford starts out with UC Davis, a team they beat by almost 30 in early November. Um, and and Notre Dame is the top seed in that bracket. So a, a potential Elite Eight rematch with the Irish. We remember what happened two years ago when Stanford was able to upset them. They were the top two seeds in that bracket uh, a couple years ago. What stands out to you about Stanford's path? Well, I think they're in great shape and the way they're playing. And, you know, the one thing this week, we know they're they're in finals. So that might be a little bit of a, a challenge. But I think their depth with uh, getting folks healthy, their bench is in great shape. And I'm excited about to see what this team can do. Uh, a, a game with Notre Dame would be just amazing. Yeah. The, the Notre Dame pipeline in Chicago is deep. And the road from South Bend is not that far. That would be that would be off the hook at Wintrust, the new DePaul facility. And I know DePaul is in that as well as a six seed. And uh, in the Chicago newspapers and all over the news, and I talked to my mom last night. She said, I'm watching three interviews with DePaul players. I mean, my mom is like, and then there's this player, and then there's that. I'm like, Tell us the Mary Lou scouting report. Yeah. Oh, yeah. She she said, we're, and Doug Bruno, of course, who I've known forever. And Mary, he's starting to look a little older. And I'm like, oh, my God. Well, thanks for that. Thanks for that, Mom. Um, yeah, so she was giving me the DePaul scouting report. Oh, nothing better than Mary Lou no. and the Mom scouting report. Um so that, that also, by the way, Saturday when they take on UC Davis, that's going to be the 71st NCAA tournament game played on Stanford's campus. And our Elise Woodward is going to be doing play-by-play. On the play. call for ESPN, yep. too, which is awesome. awesome. Yeah, we love Elise. Okay. Uh, so let's continue to move on. Oregon State and UCLA are both in the Albany region, which if, if Chicago is the best region, what are we nicknaming the Albany region? Because that, to me, is the toughest. You've got Louisville, you got UConn, and you got Maryland as the top three seeds. Well, it's tough, so we're going to call it Frozen Tundra. Because it's Albany, <laughs> and you know what upstate I, New York I is have like. Spent some, have you, have I have you? done some hard time in Albany, New York, and uh, How would yeah, you I lived there it? for about a year. I think Frozen Tundra is. And by hard time, you fair, don't mean you don't mean jail time. I don't mean that I actually physically was in jail, even though sometimes it felt that way. No, I, I, I'm kidding. I, I, I loved my time in Albany. It was Did a wonderful, you? magical year. Yes, it launched me on my career. I wouldn't be sitting next to you today doing the podcast without my uh, Albany, New York stop. I would just recommend not just one down jacket, but like double downing. Yeah. Double downing is, is key. March is, March is unpredictable in Albany. Um, it'll be pretty brown. I can guarantee that. But, but yeah, so, but what does stand out about that, that region? Because it is, uh, it's no joke. And Oregon State and UCLA both, both have a tough path if they are trying to get to Tampa. Well, they do. For UCLA, they're going to start on the, on the road at Maryland. And uh, if you're Maryland, you know, two years ago, it was uh, Oregon that rolled in there as a seven seed and beat Maryland on that sort of Cinderella run that they had to the to the Elite Eight. UCLA playing great basketball. What are they, 11 of 14, 11 of 13? They're really on a great roll. Uh, they're playing great basketball. Oregon State, a little bit of an ouch factor. Y- you lose to, uh, to Washington. Uh, they've had some rest. I, I think they're going to come out ready to go. And I know it's tough, but... It's an Oregon State team that has played big games. This senior class has has really knows how to handle things. I think they're going to have a really nice run in the tournament. And Oregon State is the four seed, and so they will get to host. Uh, and you know, we talk about the crowd at Matthew Knight Arena, but the the crowd at Gill Coliseum is going to be huge. And in that crowd is going to be the one and only Mary Murphy. So right, I'll be courtside with Tiffany Green. We'll be having a blast. I love that getting in line, getting in the queue at the restroom. <laughs> <laughs> Get in line. And they play Boise State. Uh, Destiny Slocum grew up not too far from there, so she's she's familiar with the Broncos, certainly. 
Uh, looking forward to that matchup. And then Arizona State, they're in the Portland bracket as well. What stands out to you about the Sun Devils? And 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 by the way, I just want to give you another shout out. I did on on our air yesterday, but <laughs> Charlie Turner Thorne was loving your questions. She thanked you profusely for all three of your questions. Well, it's the thing about life is if you do things long enough, you hopefully you get better at it. And as you get to know these coaches and what they like to talk about and what they you know what is concerning them or what's making them happy, to just and it's a softball lob. So you take that softball and you're you're lobbing it and you're hoping they just hit a home run with it. And uh, Charlie's, you know, she she like has things she likes to talk about, and I try to I try to lob those to her. And so, what were your softballs yesterday for for folks who may not have been able to see the show? Well, I think that they felt like they were dinged up at 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 the Pac-12 tournament. That that Ibis was a little hurt, and and uh, as I'm running down my list here, maybe Robbie Ryan a bit. And uh, some other folk, Kiara Russell, and they get healthy. They have a very strong bench. Their freshman class is doing a great job. And every day they can get together and, and practice well, they're, they're going to go far. They play outstanding defense. The key for Arizona State is scoring, consistent scoring. Can, can Courtney Eckmark st- step outside and knock down threes? Can they, can they spread the floor and give Kiana Ibis some great touches? If, if I, but they can put together a great run. Think about who they played in the preseason. Baylor, seven-point loss. Louisville, a number one seed, a two-point loss. They were right there. They go double gauntlet. They play UCLA twice, Utah twice. This is a team that's battle-tested. They know what it takes to win, and I will guarantee you those Sun Devil players to a person believe they can get to the Final Four. And they start with UCS, uh, UCF, I should say, Central Florida in Coral Gables. Uh, the five twelve matchup, and I know that that Charlie was happy that they got the five seed. She appreciated. Yeah, that. And, and it just showed some respect that they certainly yeah. deserved. Okay, la- last team, uh, last of the six teams that we have yet to touch on, and we'll talk a little bit more about Cal when Leja Clarendon joins us a little bit later on. But the Golden Bears are heading back to Waco for again. the third time. Waco in again. Six years. <laughs> Again, yeah, yeah, uh-huh. and, uh huh, and they will take on North Carolina, the eight nine matchup. So that that that'll be interesting, I think, for them because again, if you get past North Carolina, then guess who's waiting? Yeah, big names. The only loss Baylor's had was Stanford beat them at Stanford. Uh, so for for Cal, it, it's a tough road. Do they have the talent? Yes. Do they have the ability to to, to get out of there? They absolutely do. When you have Christina Nigue, All American, leading rebounder in the country, a great score at twenty two a game. They can do special things. They're going to have to shoot the ball well. They're going to have to defend, rebound. They're going to have to be on top of their game because this is it. You know, there has to be an, an incredible sense of urgency for this senior class, Rasay, Asia Thomas, Christina Nigue, that you want to go out in just a blaze of glory. And that means getting out of Baylor and getting out of Waco. Yeah, it will not be easy, but yeah. again, we've seen the Cal Bears win. And if you go by transitive property, I, I'm not. We, we've established on this podcast that I'm not a math person. But what kind of property is it? The, is it transitive? Sure. That if I you, didn't study that in college, you, <laughs> I studied concepts in math. So if I'm <laughs> off here, feel free to correct me. Any math majors listening? But the only team to beat Baylor in the country is Stanford, and Cal has a win over Stanford. So transitive property would tell you that um, they should be able to beat Baylor. I'm going to add this to my repertoire. Yeah. Well, double check me on that. Don't quote like me it. on that. But it, you, you see you see my, my rationale. Yeah, yeah. I'm going to use my yeah. Chicago. Yeah, I got that. Yeah, I, I got, got that. that. Yeah, I got that. Uh, all right. So we, we uh, Corey Close is about to join us here in just a minute. Can you remember let, – let's just – one more thing on UCLA. Do you remember uh, looking at a bracket that had a tougher potential six seed than the Bruins are this year? No, and I think that there's folks out there that can't believe that they're a six seed. But the, the problem for UCLA is is what happened early, and and the, the bracketologist people will tell you you just can't look at the last 13 games, 14 games. I mean, they opened their season with a loss at LMU. You know, they lost uh, to North Carolina. They had that terrible run in the middle of the season where they couldn't win a ball game. So, but they have turned things around. We expected a transition, didn't we? Mo Billings graduates, Kelly Hayes graduates, Jordan Canada. This is a team that had to sort of find themselves, and they've done that. But you don't want to see a six-seed UCLA. No. no. I'm sure Maryland wasn't super no. psyched to, no. to know that they would have to play them potentially in the second round. So for, for more on the Bruins, let's uh, let's welcome in the head coach, shall we? Corey Close. Corey, thanks for the time. We, we know this is a very busy time of year for you. Oh, my pleasure. It's fun to... Uh, be a part of March Madness. I'm glad I'm still have something to talk about. Corey, I know you just finished a practice a few minutes ago, so uh, drop some knowledge on us here. What what does practice look like now that you have a first round opponent and you know you'll be playing Tennessee? 
Well, I think that, you know, honestly, yesterday was so chaotic because, you know, in the middle of our practice, we find out the, the bracket had been leaked and, you know, we're scrambling to make all these decisions uh, about the watch party and all that. And I actually think the team was a little bit shell-shocked. Um, and, you know, I, uh, they don't know. They haven't watched Tennessee play that much this year. And so they were like, in their mind, you know, Tennessee – is, you know, obviously a storied program. And a lot of them grew up watching Tennessee when they were, you know, at their heyday. And I, I think yesterday was sort of like a little bit of a shock and a little bit of like, hey, is that really what a six earns us, you know? Um, but I think that once they were able to just, um, you know, settle in and they were, you know, trying to look at, okay, what does this Tennessee team look like? What is the What are the qualities and what are the things that we're going to have to take away? I think they got really refocused. And so really our, 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 uh, practice today was very uh was you know short but it was intense and our scout guys did a great job of you know imitating I think what they what Tennessee wants to do and and I was just really proud of the way that our team refocused and I thought they were I thought they were very well prepared today and we got a lot done in a short period of time. Coach fill us in on I know we talked a little bit yesterday on the selection show about what Travel-wise, you guys have to go as far as just about anybody in the country going from L.A. all the way to College Park, Maryland. What your travel is going to look like, the logistics of putting this all together, what kind of decisions do you make? And I know Pam Walker is really intimately involved in everything that you guys do. Yeah. Just what what all goes into that and what have you put together so far? Well, you know, we're so um, I'm so grateful to have a Pam Walker in my life, let alone as leading our the operations of our program. Um, you know, it's, you know, the NCA does a great job, but you're just, you're adding so many people to your travel party. So, you know, if you don't know this, I mean, you're not just um, organizing the team and, you know, support staff and coaches. You've got the band, you've got the cheerleaders, you've got your administration, you've got selective donors, you've got, you know, it's a very large scale uh, operation. Um, but the NCA charters a flight and, and we also have the added bonus of uh, juggling final exams. So, we will be flying back to College Park on Thursday, right after we have four kids who have a final exam from 8 to 11 on Thursday. And then as soon as they're done, we'll be, uh, you know, it's fun for the kids and we get a police escort. We, um, you know, get we drive right out to the tarmac and everyone's set and ready to go. And, um, and At LAX? Uh, well, it's a, it's an offshoot. It's not LAX, the main terminal. So wow. um, we, you know, so we're able to do that. And, and we've done that in the flights that we've chartered in the past, but not, not as much with this big of a plane and this big of a party. Um, it's so it's a lot, but it's a lot of fun. We'll get there Thursday night and we'll go to work. It's funny because when I talk to players, a lot of them, men's or women's, when I ask what's the coolest thing about playing in the NCAA tournament, and almost always at one of the top two or three things is the police escort. That's always oh, something right hey, at the top of the list. Well, you're right, and especially when you live near the 405 freeway. I mean, oh, right? my God. I mean, People must really think you're special. It is the only time where the seas part and, they, you know, <laughs> there is no one ahead of us. And, I mean, it's the most power any of us have ever felt in our lives. <laughs> That's awesome. You you mentioned finals, uh, Corey, and and like several Pac-12 teams, you are in the middle of them. I know it's something that you've gotten used to navigating with your team during this time of year. What do you see from the players in a week where they are balancing, obviously, critical NCAA tournament prep with one of the most important and and grueling weeks in their academic calendar? You know, I think it's a great uh, lesson in, you know, planning ahead. Um, we are very uh, disciplined and we are sort of um, rigid about um, planning ahead. The second week of the quarter, we ha- require them all to go meet with every single one of their professors and say, you know, I'm Lauren Miller and I ha- I'm going to have a final and it's very likely I could have a conflict. I would like, you know, what do I need to do to plan ahead? You know, and really trying to get ahead of it and teach our players like, okay, you're going to need some favors. Um, at the end of this uh, quarter, you're going to need a, a professor that's going to let an exam be proctored on the road. You're going to need to be able to turn in papers on the road. Or, you know, so just like in basketball or academics, just like in life, um, if you need something like that, you need to uh, handle things proactively and you need to communicate in advance. Um, you need to show that you are a consummate learner all quarter long um, to earn those kinds of accommodations. Corey, this leads me right into, I know how much John Wooden has meant to you and the pyramid of success is prominently displayed in in your locker room area. And um, where, 
Do you feel like his message is still relevant today with the, with where we are in our society and where your players are here in 2019? Yeah, it has to be, to be honest with you, Mary. It has to be. We may need to change the style of the way we administer the message, um, but I think the message is still the same. You know, competitive greatness is being able to give your best when your best is needed. And the definition of success is still, you know, um, having the peace of mind and knowing that you did your very best. And, you know, I, I think it ha I think that's my job as a teacher. And that's also my responsibility in terms of all that I receive from him is I have got to be a good teacher to pass that along. I, it's my job to keep it relevant. And, you know, I, it was really interesting this weekend. I was recruiting and I was watching Miss Val's, all of the things involved with her last um, meet here in Poly Pavilion. And uh, she talked about in her press conference really emotionally that she'd always felt like she was entering into his house and she was just glad to sort of be borrowing wow. it, you know. And um, and she said it was uh, Saturday was the first time she felt like it was her house too. But I I just, um, we both, I was just asked this by a reporter about 20 minutes ago, but, um, you know, we both were so deeply impacted by him. And I just sat in my hotel room watching all the coverage, and I just had tears because, um, you know, she just had did such a great job. I just kept thinking Coach Whitman is so proud of her, you know, and, and I just kept thinking about how well she has done in um, taking his message and keeping it relevant, but doing it in a way that this generation is still soaking it up. And I just think it speaks volumes to her ability to teach, and but also to the depth of the impact that he's made on her life. And, and I feel like I have the same responsibility, is to creatively think about how I can uh, continue to pass on those messages that have been so impactful for me. I'm so glad you brought that up, Corey, because it it was a really powerful uh, day. The the meet itself, the post game press conference, and and actually shout out to Annie Gottlieb, our, our futures producer, was there and had Miss Val mic'd up for that event, and that's oh. going to be part of our our stories, um, our latest episode coming out in just about a month and a half or so. So I, I appreciate you bringing that up. It was and and if you missed any of it, it certainly go on fact-12.com and, and check it out because it was it was intensely it was powerful. Awesome. I don't yeah, care if you're a football coach or a softball coach. Or I don't care what kind of coach or teacher you are. Um, if you want to be reminded about why you are doing what you're doing, watch those that coverage. Um, to watch her, what her former players talked about um, in terms of her impact, the level of excellence, sustained excellence over a long period of time, the culture that she built, the way in which people wanted to respond and honor her because of the depth of impact. I really don't care what kind of coach or teacher you are. You will be inspired and reminded by watching that. And Corey, one of the things that's really inspired me over the years about you and your program, and it's one of the lessons from Coach Wooden, it's number five, it takes 10 hands to make a basket, is what, yeah. what you and your team do every year with shoes and socks hmm. for people that don't don't have any, whether it's in Los Angeles or in the Bahamas, all the different places you travel to in the preseason, the impact that you and your players have uh, on people that, that need help, just reaching yeah. out and, and making a difference. How many shoes and socks have you guys given away to people? Uh, I don't know over the years. I mean, I, I remember the first time when Sue Semrau had us do that at Florida State, and I thought she was crazy. Um, and <laughs> You know, and then to see what the power of that moment and to see the humility that, that you don't just drop something off and give it down, but you have the honor to bring, to sit eye to eye and to wash their feet and to put shoes and socks on them. Um, it is truly a, a way, it is truly an honor. And, you know, it, I don't know the number, but I do know that every year, as many shoes as we give away, our hearts are affected more. Um, this year we did it at the, yeah, in the Virgin Islands, and we lost three games there. And and but at the same time, it was Thanksgiving weekend, and the school in which we were serving was deeply affected by Hurricane Irma. And right behind the uh, school was this about eight-story apartment building, and the wall of the whole back side of this apartment was still gone a year and a half later, and people were still living there. So we're like looking right after the base of the school into the bedrooms, living rooms of this, this apartment building, and there is no wall on the back side. There's no fence. There's no railing. And these are the kids that are coming through, and we get to give them, a lot of them, their first pair of new shoes, you know. And here we are. We're disappointed in how we're playing. We lost the game in overtime to 
uh, Kentucky. We've got our hands, our tails handed to us against Carolina, you know, and, but then here you have this perspective check and like, we are so fortunate to get to do what we get to do and to be able to know there's a lot of people in the midst of losing um, that would love to be in your shoes and, and, or have a pair of shoes in this case. Right. <laughs> and yeah. so, um, if, and you go away from that and, you know, you're so thankful to have been able to provide. I remember this little girl named Sophia, and she said, I have six older siblings, and this is my first pair of new shoes on my own. Wow. You know, and I, and I got to put those shoes on Sophia's feet. And, you know, who got more of a benefit, her getting a new pair of shoes or my heart getting enlarged? I don't know. Hopefully both. Um, but I think that happened for all of us. And, and I remember going, you know, leaving the Virgin Islands and saying to myself, you know, don't lose sight, Corey. I know you're hurting. I'm, I'm preaching to myself, right? I know you're really frustrated and hurting that of how things are going and, and where you're performing and all those things. But, you know, don't lose sight here. This is where you got to hold on to what's really important. And, and I, I really think the shoe distribution every year, we usually do two a year, one in the spring and, and one sometime during the season. And it's become such an anchoring point. And if you were to ask our players, every one of them of their top 10 memories of being a UCLA Bruin, every one of them would say one of the shoe distributions. Yeah, it's it's an amazing thing that, that mm-hmm. you guys have been doing. And I, I would put it in thousands just from the articles I've read. You're up in the yeah. thousands. It, it's yeah, remarkable. I, I guess you're right. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, we talked about you as a coach in the NCAA, but you were a player in the NCAA playing uh-huh. in the for UCSB, for Santa Barbara. Uh, I actually watched a video of you uh, this week in number Lord 40. Yep, yep, <laughs> I went way back. Uh, you were a star guard, 36% career, three-point shooter. Against Houston one year, you went 11-11 at the free throw line. Take me back to when you were a player and those what those NCAA experiences were like for you and your team. Well, you know, I, I think that's where I fell in love with. I love being a builder. And so I think that's sort of in me. And it started as a player. Um, you know, they uh, were 0-18. Um, UC Santa Barbara was before Mark French came into my home visit and told him that he wanted to build something different. And I got to be a part of his second recruiting class. And I think the joy of being able to build an NCAA-level team that started from the bottom of the Big West, and at that time, way back when dinosaurs were still playing, um, the, <laughs> you know, the, um, but Cal State Fullerton, uh, Hawaii, uh, Long Beach State, uh, UNLV were all in the Big West, and they, they were all top 20 teams. At that time, it was a really, really good conference. Um, and so when he talked about learning how to build an NCAA tournament team, you know, most people would have thought he was crazy in this little beach town up there. And, but I believed him and he really taught me about culture and his big thing was habits of excellence. He was really um, influenced by Covey's book and, and all the time it was about habits of excellence and everything you did. And, um, and I think that's where I fell in love with building things. And so, but I, you know, I remember every one of those games and uh, you know, and it's, I think it's taught me how to build winners and both on the court and in life and, and where kids feel good about their um, experience and how they've grown. And I know it was life changing for me. Um, and so I just tried to take that, those seeds that were planted in me by my teammates and Mark French and, uh, and, and try to pay it forward. So I definitely think it was very instrumental and it's where I fell in love with building things. Corey, I, I love that answer and, and the insight to, to when you played in the dinosaur age. That was, that's a good Thunderdome. <laughs> uh, I, for, for me, and I just want to go back to the bracket because when fans, I think, mm-hmm. look at uh, the bracket or people in the media, they love seeing, okay, you know, what upset can I pick? What are the storylines? What conspiracy theory can I drum up about why the NCAA committee put so-and-so in this region? But as a coach from where you sit in your perspective, when you look at a bracket, specifically maybe this year's, what do you see? Well, I think that it's a really fun year to be a women's basketball coach, um, but it's also a really stressful one because the parity is just, uh, it's get, it just continues to get better, which is, you know, it, it really demands your best as a coach on a more consistent level. And, and I think it's good for our game uh, to have this kind of bracket. But it is, you know, I think it's more open than it's ever been. Um, but I think it's not just at the top. I think it's also in the bottom of the bracket. I think there are more quality teams. I think the difference of the numbers and the seed lines don't mean as much as they did maybe even five years ago. So I think from a coach's perspective, you better be able to be ready to bring it from round one all the way through. And I think, you know, you always say that as a coach, but this, this bracket's going to make you prove it. 
And I think that that's the case. But I think most coaches would also tell you that it's all about matchups. It's really not about numbers as much as it is styles and matchups and who you play better against. And one of the things I talked to them about today is in terms of our style and matchup and the way that we are, we defend at our best and the way that we score at our best, um, this is a much better matchup against Tennessee than it would have been against maybe a Buffalo or South Dakota or, you know, some of the other ones that, you know, spread you out and, and, you know, set you to death in terms of really disciplined sets. And, you know, those aren't as good for us. And so um, really trying to educate our team that, you know, it's really about trying to understand who you are and how to play your strengths and then the matchups that you're drawn. So I think that's the combination of really it's it's just about which team can take one game at a time, which team can match up effectively. But the bracket is is – uh, wide open and it's and it's really fun. From a, I'm really hopeful that from a fan's perspective, we we uh, gain more and more interest. Obviously, last year was an awesome year in terms of the Final Four and how that happened. Um, but I hope all the way through the bracket, we're able to drum more and more interest about our great sport because the parody is just getting better and better. Couldn't have said it better than that. And it all starts with the Lady Volunteers in College Park on Saturday, 10 a.m. Pacific time on ESPN2. Enjoy the police escort through L.A. Very jealous about that. We we will have our coffee uh, freshly brewed, and we'll be watching Saturday morning. Corey, thanks for the time. We really appreciate you. Well, thank you, guys. I've really enjoyed what this podcast, listening to it in the past. It's an honor to be on it, and I just am so thrilled to be a part of the Pac-12 and to – to be a part of telling the stories, as I've told you yesterday. It's just, it's really cool to watch the Pac-12 women's basketball grow, and we're just beginning. I mean, but seriously, I know I say this after every guest, but how great is Corey? I just think she's, she's amazing. and Phenomenal. Yeah, so many stories to tell and her perspective, and it's so true. I mean, she's so true to what she, comes out of her mouth is how she lives her life, and it's not like there's a, another agenda there. It's uh, it, it's great to watch her do the, her work and, and how she inspires her players. It's not coach speak when, nope. when it comes from Corey, mm-hmm. so we appreciate her time, and we appreciate the fact that she listens to the podcast. Exactly. It's good stuff. Uh, I'm also super excited for our next guest. Me too. Malaysia Clarendon. In in prepping for the interview, it was it was fun for us to look back and and reminisce on that Final Four team in, in 2013. So be- before we get lay on the pod, what what do you remember about that squad? What do you remember about that year? Well, they had it. We've, we how do you get to the Final Four? They have they had it a, a fearless confidence, a, a fierce mindset, a will to win. You just felt like during that tournament when they took the floor, they believed they were getting to the Final Four. And maybe it started in mid January when they beat Stanford at Maples by 12. The first Pac-12 loss that Stanford and Tara had had, I think, in 81 conference games. Wow. I mean, it was just a, an amazing streak that that Stanford had. But Cal, that's they, they played with a like a crazy confidence, and it, clearly it carried through the rest of the year. I'm I'm trying to remember too. I think that was the year because it was the first year of the Pac-12 Network that that um, in the Pac-12 tournament that year. We had this awesome behind-the-scenes footage of them dancing in the locker room. Like that was that was one of the really fun Cal Bear squads. And I remember chatting with you about just how this team, yeah, they're locked in on the court, but 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 off of it, they there was like a sense of joy around that squad. Yeah, they had energy, pizzazz, they had a, a, a joy for life, and they loved playing basketball together. But yeah, they uh, they got after it pretty good. <laughs> well, the the leader of that Final Four team, who is now a WNBA All Star for the Connecticut Sun, not to mention a colleague and good friend of ours here at the Pac-12 Network, Lasia Clarendon, joining us on the podcast. Lay, thanks for making some time. Thanks for having me. Yeah, I'm excited to be here. You're the first guest that Mary Murphy has applauded for, I will say that. We go oh, way thank back. Thank you. Thank you. <laughs> uh, I want to start by taking a trip down memory lane, and and Mary and I were revisiting some of her NCAA tournament memories earlier. But I, I remember so well your senior year, that run to the Final Four with the Bears, and how special it was. It was actually the, the first year that the Pac-12 Networks exist, existed. So it's hard to believe that it's been seven years. Um, but given that we're coming off Selection Monday, let's start with that and and your memory of, of that day and watching the selection show with your team. Anything stand out to you? Oh, it's such a special time. I mean, we didn't make the tournament my first few years, so I definitely savored those moments as a junior and a senior. And I remember actually losing um, to UCLA in the Pac-12 tournament. It reminds me a lot of Oregon, who lost. And 
we should have been a one seed, but that loss kind of bumped us down to a two seed. It's the same situation Oregon's in now, but it ended up benefiting us from the type of bracket we were in. So I just remember kind of like, oh, that loss in the Pac-12 tournament, but then it actually worked out in our favor, ended up being a good thing. And then just a special moment of seeing Cal being the highest seed we've ever been ranked in school history, which is why I stayed on the West Coast and wanted to play for this team was to try and make history. And Lay, your very first game in the NCAA tournament that that Cinderella year for you guys was against Fresno State. So you're getting ready for that game. In your, what was your mindset? Your goals? Are you thinking, oh, we're going to go to the Final Four? Or is it just one game at a time? Or as a senior, when you're sitting there, what do you, what are you thinking about in the locker room? Oh, just enjoy the moment. I mean, I remember Talia Caldwell, my teammate and like really good best friend now in the summer, telling me we're going to the final four this year. And I was like, wow. what are you talking about? Like, it's just summer <laughs> workouts. Like, it's six o'clock in the morning. I'm tired. Like, okay, cool. I'll, I'll see you there is what I told her. Like, great. But today, like, I got to get through this workout. And so it's that big picture mindset, but it's also that, like, every day what it takes, the little baby steps. And so for us, it was like, we have to win this first game. I wasn't thinking final four in the long run. I was just thinking as a senior, like, enjoy this moment, soak it up relish it this is what you play for and what you work hard for and so I was just really present in the moment that elite eight overtime game against Georgia is the one that I think sticks out to me but but what do you remember about that path because there was also an overtime game against South Florida I believe in in the second round what what do you remember about your guys's path to uh to New Orleans that year there was in that South Florida game, I actually fouled a three-point shooter. I'll never forget in the corner and it almost like lost us the game, like trying to contest the three. So how quickly it could all be over really yeah. stands out to me. Like the one possession, one moment, one missed free throw, one wrong call. It really is special and magical because the ball could just bounce your way or it couldn't. And then what really stands out is I think we were down eight or 10 with four minutes to go in that game to get to the lead eight or get to the final four in the elite eight. And just, I remember vividly staring up at the clock and be like, oh my God, is this going to happen or not? Like, this is the moment. That was the one moment for me of like final four or bust. And then I remember we fouled out their starting point guard and just, I don't know, willed it. I just remember Jen Brandon, like jumping above the rim, grabbing rebounds and we just went on a run. And then it was kind of all a blur from there. Next thing you know, it's like, well, China Robinson's interviewing me and we're in New Orleans. <laughs> <laughs> so how, how would you, like, how would you describe the final four experience? Because the NCAA tournament itself is obviously so incredibly special, but it, to me, it feels like the final four is something that it's hard to describe unless you've experienced it. It is. It's just magical is the word that comes to mind for me and our team, because we had never been there. And, you know, for us, we felt like we underachieved those first two years um, with having such a talented class. We had seven freshmen in one of the best recruiting classes in history at Cal, but just didn't, you know, perform the way we wanted to for it to all come together at that moment. And we just relished it because we lost the year before my junior year to Notre Dame in the second round. So we were just that team that was like wide-eyed kids who were like, this is amazing. You know, we weren't, we didn't go every year like a Notre Dame had or Skylar Diggins four years in a row she went. Like this was our first time ever being there. So we just were like, every little thing was amazing from like the beignets to doing the media coverage <laughs> to the circuit. And the fans were like, oh my God, a new team is here. Like this is cool. And I think that's the wave of we're seeing right now with the parody in women's basketball is like, you don't know what team is going to be there. A few years ago, it was UW and Oregon State. It's just, there's so much parody. UConn is a two seed for the first time since when, and just like, it's all changing so fast. And so it was just a magical experience that it's really hard to describe until you walk into that step and, and walk through the final four doors. Leigh, what was special about your team that helped you get as far as you did because there's when you look at the bracket this year there's a ton of talented teams there's a ton of great coaches but what does it take to I mean because every one of those games is 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 just so hard how how do you what was special about you guys and 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 the Bears that were able to get get to New Orleans and I think we had a lot of weapons um Again, I think to compare us to like an Oregon or a Stanford in terms of we had multiple people who could step up and score. So obviously I was like one of our main players and leaders, but we had Brittany Boyd, who's playing in the WNBA. We had Rashonda Gray, who's playing in the WNBA. We had Talia Caldwell, who's having a great overseas career. Jen Brandon, who could grab 20 rebounds of 10 points for you. And Christine just recently broke her um, single season rebounding record. So we had multiple weapons. I think it's one of the main things. We didn't just have, you know, one or two players who were going to put up points for us. And I think 
when you get down the stretch and start to play those really talented teams, they have multiple players who can step up and score. And then we were a team who was um, unselfish. We were willing to be like, whoever's night it is, go for it. Like, let's win. If it's Boyd, Brittany playing the one and going off on people, like, I'm happy to chill in the corner for a minute or <laughs> step up or, you know, sometimes it was just me throwing the ball at the rim and letting Jen or Talia get the rebounds. So I think um, we had a lot of weapons, but we also had that, uh, that magic sauce I think a lot of people look for. and It's called chemistry, right, in, in basketball. It's like those little things that you work for your teammates. And I vividly remember one of my other good friends, Michaela Lyles, and then Abigail Cohen were two people that played on the bench, you know, rarely got in. Michaela was a three-point specialist. But I remember those hard moments. It was like, I want to win for them. Like, they show up and work so hard and support us and do every little thing. They play the scout team for us. They rebound for us. And they're the people who often, you know, don't get in the game because there's only so many minutes to be played. And so we had that, like, I want it for them and they wanted it for me just as bad. That team did invent the uh, the missed shot as an assist because you were such a great <laughs> offensive rebounding team. I loved watching. Like, missed shots didn't matter because Brandon or Caldwell were just, like, tipping stuff in. It was it was a, a fun style. When, when you look at this year's bracket and the Pac-12 teams, the six teams that are going, Cal, UCLA, Oregon, Oregon State, Arizona State, Stanford, what just what's your general impression of, of the chances to kind of make that run to the Final Four? I think we've got some good odds. I know Cal, obviously, being a Golden Bear, they've got North Carolina, and then they uh, would have a tough matchup with Baylor with the two bigs inside. In Waco. I noticed, I think, yeah. yeah, in Waco, it's tough. And then um, I think Oregon's got one of the best draws as a two seed. It seems like everyone wanted to be in Mississippi State's bracket, like the, you know, I don't want to say easiest number one win, but that seems to be the perception. Like everyone was like, if we could just get in Mississippi State's bracket, we might be able to make it there. So looking, I think Oregon's, um, got a good shot and then I never count out Stanford because Tara just you know she just pulls out this amazing scout out of nowhere and then they hold people to their season low in points and um, Charlie Turner Thorne is just I feel like kind of quietly always been really good in the tournament and just made it to Sweet 16 similar um, to UCLA I, I was looking at their stats when I was working the games this year and I was like they've been to that many consecutive you know Sweet 16s and in, in post play post uh, conference play and we just have a lot of good teams and I think, you know, it's March and anything can happen. But again, con- credit to the conference for being this good and having that many teams in the tournament. It's really a dream come true for me. That's why I stayed on the West coast because I wanted West coast basketball to get the recognition that it should. And now we're starting to see that happen. Elijah, I, lo- I love that. And I I've loved having you as part of our team with the patch well networks. You've called a, a number of games for us the past few years and I, I just love to ask you about that. Has your broadcasting experience and the way that you prep and prepare for, you know, teams and to call a game, has it changed or affected your view of the game at all? Or t- tell me what you enjoy about it. It's fun. I really feel like I found my voice. I just finished my third year and I feel like it kind of, I'm not a like rookie underclassman anymore. It kind of all came together over the first couple of years. It was like, you know, I have to do the halftime interviews. Oh my God, what do I ask? I would be like writing down my question with a minute to go. And then, you know, a run happens and now my question changes. So now we've all been there. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) Just trust myself a little more. Like I know the game, I know what to ask. I'm literally watching the game. So just trusting myself to get up there and ask. And um, I love watching basketball. I think I would like to coach one day. And so the preparation has been so fun. And to be in your third year, you've kind of seen players grow and develop. So you grow as they grow and you get to learn the storylines about them and what changes and what injuries and who's coming back. So it's just been really fun. And I think it just gives me another opportunity to stay attached to the game with a whole new perspective. And um, again, being a part of this conference is just remarkable. Kate Scott told me a, a great story about when, when you two called the game, uh, I think it was the regular season finale between Utah and USC and Drayana Edwards, the Pac-12 freshman of the year, maybe fangirling you a little bit, but before the game, she came up and asked for a picture. Do you remember this? Yes. <laughs> yeah. Kate yeah, said, I was like, and I Kate need a picture like, with you. <laughs> yeah. Well, that that was kind of Kate's point. Is she said, it, it's so easy to forget about what a big deal Lasia is because she's so humble that that you sometimes forget. So what's it like when, when younger people come up to you and want autographs or pictures? Because I know it happens a lot. Have, have you gotten used to being in the spotlight in that way as a WNBA All-Star? Um, in some ways I have, in some ways I haven't. I think just like 
you're just a normal person. I feel like, you know, I'm just walking through the world like everyone else. I forget sometimes, like, people see you on TV and then they see you in person. So they're like, oh, my God. Um, and I do similar things, you know, when I first saw Sue Bird in person playing in the WNBA and Diana Taurasi, it was like that fangirl moment for me. So um, I just really appreciate it with young people and, and anyone in general. I really enjoy connecting with fans and with players. It's something that I actually thrive off of is that engagement. So I'm always um, you know, willing to try and take that extra moment to like sign an autograph or say hi, because I know how far it goes. I remember actually getting Candace Parker's shoe in a tournament that I won in San Diego, like in high school, and it was like a signed shoe from Candace Parker was the thing. And although she didn't wasn't there to give it to us, it was like she took the moment to sign that shoe. And then I had that sitting in my room, like all through high school growing up, and just how small a moment you could take for someone can impact their world, like so much more than you realize. And I don't know if people know that you were drafted ninth overall in the 2013 WNBA draft by Indiana. Of course, the great Lynn Dunn uh, <laughs> was there. And then you traded to Atlanta and then Connecticut, an all-star along the way. And I was I was telling Ashley and Colleen that you're a great basketball player, but you're valuable for other reasons. You're a linchpin personality. You're a, a, a woman of great character so that people want you on their team. They trade for you because not just what you, because you can defend and put the ball in the hoop, but there's so much more there. And your friends around the league are a reflection of you. You know, when I go to Atlanta and see Elizabeth Williams and I can go down the list, but like, you know, everyone's got a, wants to be a WNBA player. It's not as easy as just wanting to be it. How, how hard has your journey been to get in the league and stay in the league? It's really hard. It's, you know, there's 144 potential roster spots in the WNBA. We've got 12 teams, 12 potential roster spots. Um, and sometimes teams only keep 11. So you can do the math, right? And it's, it's hard. And I think what's been, beneficial for me has improving been improving every year I've just tried to get better at something because in this league right the talent the young talent coming behind you and the vets in front of you like if you're not getting better I don't think you're going to sustain in this league and it's just so hard to thrive because there's it's literally like the cream of the crop because there's so few spots we don't often have room for even more of those developmental roles that we would like so I just realized it's um you know the blessing to be in the league I have those moments where I'm like I'm one of 144 players like in the world who gets to play in this league and I'm going into my seventh year. Like, you know, what is my life? This journey is remarkable, but I think the grind that it takes to to get there and then to sustain there is something that few people truly understand. It's just, um, you know, for some players going overseas and coming back and playing year round for me, it's, you know, figuring out resources in the off season, being back training at Cal, sometimes by yourself, trying to find, you know, guys to play pickup with, it's just, uh, it's a really big grind to, to stay at this level. And it's something that you just have to continue to get better. And if you want to thrive in this league. Well, I think you're a, a great mentor for anyone, certainly in our conference or, or anywhere to say, if you want to do this, talk to Alasia Clarendon about how to get it done because you've, you really have carved out an amazing career. And again, you didn't talk about your character. You didn't talk about all the things that you do to keep a locker room together, but uh, Lasia Claren's a very special person, and, and uh, Connecticut's fortunate to have you, and I think they know that. Thank you, Mary. I appreciate that. Lay, I just want to say thank you so much for, for joining us. We know that we, um, you talk about the grind. We know that we interrupted your workout this morning so that you could come on the podcast. So we appreciate you uh, <laughs> taking a few moments. And wh where will you be watching the, all the action from the tournament? I'm going on vacation this week, so I'll be watching it from my hotel resort in New Mexico, actually. Good my for you. Wow. Yeah. Good for you. Last I'm little, glad you get in. Uh, yeah, well, <laughs> exactly. And I know that, that uh, you'll be headed out east uh, very soon for what you said is your seventh year in the WNBA. We, we love um, having you as part of our family here at the Pac-12 Network and can't wait to see what you do in the WNBA this year and many, many years to come. Love you, Lacey. Thank see you. This summer. you. We talked about Dre Edwards fangirling, Lasia. I, I think I'm in that boat right now. I'm, i got to make sure that I get a picture with her next time I see her. She was awesome. Yeah, I mean, you learn something every time you talk to Lasia, and she's awesome to watch a ga basketball game with, too, because she sees things I know I don't see. So yeah. it's it's a blast to talk to her or watch about it. Just do about anything with Lasia. So, okay, in addition to the six teams in the NCAA tournament, before we close out this uh, edition of the podcast, we got to give some love to the Arizona Wildcats, you betcha. Mary. You betcha. 
The lone Pac-12 team headed to the WNIT. Uh, obviously, you know they would love to be uh, in the big dance, but when you consider that's the first postseason appearance for the program since 2001, you know that it is a meaningful, tangible step for what Adia Barnes is building in Tucson. Exactly right. We know that Ari McDonald, the third leading scorer in the country, she's going to be an All-American next year. We love watching her play. This is a young team. They've got more more youth coming in next year and as they just continue to learn how to finish out games because they were so close down the stretch uh, it, lots of fun times coming to Tucson on the women's basketball side yeah there were there were so many games in which they were just right right there they host Idaho State Thursday 6 30 p.m pacific time at McHale and this is nice because now we're on the it's a time of year where with the daylight savings I don't really know if we're on it or we're off it but we're at the same time as Arizona, I never know what time it is in Arizona which I love what makes it's life a little so bit confusing. easier um okay we uh, there's a few more things I want to do but I'm gonna I, I don't want to save what'd you learn for the very end because I always feel like I shortchange it so so we'll, we'll we'll go to what'd you learn right now okay I I've got three I know you've got three we all, I'm gonna go quick Colleen's laughing one life is better when the sun is out it oh, felt like amen. it rained here like we're building arcs here in the Bay Area <laughs> so the sun's out so at least the ground has some I'm absorption glad we all made it on ability the arc, right mm-hmm. two that Colleen drinks kombucha or kombuka whatever I, or zambuka <laughs> I'm not sure I don't know what this is but when you go to Whole Foods there's so much kombucha kombuka that I just I, I want to I literally want to do interviews with people like why are you drinking kombucha? Because why wouldn't you drink what, kombucha? Okay, we'll talk. I, I, yeah. I don't understand mm, it. It's like, delicious. Drink water or try Coca Cola again. I don't know. Whatever. <laughs> My third thing is and just echoes what uh, Corey said and what every coach said during our selection show. This is the most wide open NCAA tournament on the women's side ever in caps and in bold, and we're going to see surprises every day and every time slot and just really buckle up. I think it's going to be a spectacular finish for the Pac-12 and I, I can't wait to just see what unfolds. It's going to be very exciting. I'm going to ask you about maybe a couple of those surprises in just okay. a minute, but first things first. Co- Colleen, what did you learn? Take us to Kambucha, Colleen's corner. Colleen. Um, I think we're so used to a parody amongst our top six teams in the Pac-12. So to read <laughs> extensively, going back to Lay's career and seeing that Stanford had won 81 consecutive uh, Pac-10 slash Pac-12 games was just a reminder of how this this program was so dominant. So dominant. And now we're just seeing with Oregon, Oregon State. Um, I mean, all these programs able to get an upset and able to be in there. We're not we're not going to see that again ever. You know, I don't. So, um, and I mean, kind of coincided. Not to give us a shout out, but it kind of coincided with the Pac-12 Network's launch. With these kind of teams, not to say that we're... <laughs> yeah, well, yeah, but no, but Tara, like, I think, would say that, yeah. that, that it has helped the growth of the conference overall, because it used to be Stanford and everybody else, and, and the parity has has shifted, certainly. Um, so it's our fault, I guess, is yeah, another yeah. way you could say that. Yeah. Uh, I just, I want to give you a little bit of love, Colleen, for the, the... I wish we could have had a camera on you when your you were researching ability. that. You're yeah. struggling. You, um, you should stick to your day job as a producer and not try and, and go to the research department, because you. I appreciated the amount of time that it took you to count those games to ensure that that we had that street correct, but I love you for that. Thank you. Love you too. <laughs> uh, the What'd thing, you learn? The thing that I learned was Lasia in talking to her, and there were there were so many cool things, both in her and Corey's interviews, that, that stuck out. But when you talk about the memories that elite athletes and competitors have, and when you ask her about what she remembers from that final four run, and, and basically one of the first things she says is, oh, yeah, that I fouled the three-point shooter in the corner of that second-round game against South Florida and almost lost us that game, that is as clear in her memory as any other accomplishment that she had that year. So I just think it's a good reminder of um, how elite athletes, their brains are wired. They're certainly wired differently than mine. Right, but it'd be nice if you could remember a fun thing. <laughs> yeah, which like, she, that's I so... love that she was like, it was all a blur once we got to yeah. about four. It was so all human, a blur. though, to think about what it you did is. wrong. Yeah, there's no doubt about it. Okay, so for people that are filling out their brackets and, and coming to the podcast for some information, can you give us like one or two early round upsets, Mary? Uh, I'm just going to, can I give you my final four or you want the... I want the early round upsets All right, I've got one. I've got DePaul beating Iowa State, the six seed beating the three because they want to go to the best regional, which is Chicago. (laughs) Okay, fair enough. And who do you have in the final four? I have number one, Baylor. I've got number two seeded Oregon um, because, and and meeting in that region is going to be ASU and Oregon because Oregon State's going to beat Mississippi State to get 
to the finals of that region. And then Stanford's going to beat Notre Dame. UConn is going to beat number one Louisville. So we're going to have three number twos in Baylor in the final four. In oh, I like that. And maybe uh, Oregon and Stanford in the national championship. Why what not? Do you think? All right. Okay. The table is set. The feast begins Friday. In Coral Gables, Florida, uh, fifth-seeded Arizona State, taking on Central Florida at 4 p.m. Pacific time on ESPN2. And also that night, the Oregon Ducks get it going. They host Portland State, 6 o'clock again on ESPN2. So enjoy the week of games, Subscribe, Subscribe, rate, review. We appreciate you all listening to the podcast. Uh, You're headed to Gill. I am. I am. Enjoy. Getting ready. Enjoy the trip. And until we meet again next Tuesday, as as my friend Mary would say, enjoy your lives. Happy trails to you. (laughs) Ha, ha, ha.